This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Forget about politics. You want to know about outrage? What is outraging people across the country and particularly in the state of Florida is the college football playoff picks. You have Florida State University, unbeaten, 13-0. and zero. Can't do better than that. Won every game. Passed over by the powers that be in favor of Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama. All good teams, but here's the coach of Florida State, Mike Norvell. I am disgusted and infuriated with the committee's decision today to have what was earned on the field taken away because a small group of people decided they knew better than the results of the games. What is the point of playing games? I, I couldn't agree more, but more more broadly, this whole system of, you know, a bunch of officials get in a room and decide who makes the playoffs, it's, it's crazy. It's unfair. It ought to be the way it is in every professional league, based on your record, your rank number one, number two. Now, you know, we can have arguments about whether the other teams are better than Florida State. But what a disappointment. What a kick in the teeth to everybody at Florida State. And I just think the system needs to be reformed, or you're going to have these debates every year. You know, it's sort of like uh, whoever wins the popular vote and doesn't become president because the Electoral College. It's just dumb, all right? Dumb. A lot of tributes to Sandra Day O'Connor passing away at the age of 93. Uh, I think the reason she gets such bipartisan praise is that she was for so many years a swing vote on the Supreme Court, deciding uh, cases, sometimes in favor of conservatives, sometimes in favor of liberals. And you, you basically don't have that today. Everybody, almost without exception, I mean, for a while, John Roberts was uh, the swing vote. Little less so now that uh, there's a 6-3 conservative majority. But now everything is sort of ideologically divided. And what was great about President Reagan making Sandra Day O'Connor uh, the first woman on the Supreme Court, shameful it hadn't happened before, obviously, uh, you know, he reached down into an Arizona state court because he wanted to find someone to break the, you know, male monopoly on the high court since the beginning of the republic. But she had been also a state legislator. So I think she may have been the last former politician picked for the high court. Uh, and that meant she was good at compromising, at wheeling and dealing, at talking to people behind the scenes. She was a remarkable woman in so many ways. And then she decided to quit the Supreme Court, to give up her seat, because her husband 
had Alzheimer's and he had moved to Washington for her. She wanted to take care of him. Now, we ultimately end up in an assisted living facility and um, had some kind of romantic relationship with another woman there. And Sandra Day O'Connor thought that was great. She blessed it. Just amazing story. Amazing woman. Amazing Supreme Court justice. All right. George Santos. Story number one. Now, we talked about the House expelling him on Friday, but he went berserk over the weekend, going after uh, several of the Long Island Republicans who had voted to oust him. I mean, by the way, he lost by a really significant margin. Wasn't even close. So he posts all this stuff on them. For example, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis Santos writes, let's talk about hypocrisy. Can someone ask Nicole Malio stock tips? When did she become a savant in stock trading? Um, he said this, whichever she did, reeks of insider trading. Nicole is in it for herself. Nicole Malio stock tips is a dishonorable, a dirty dishonorable swamp creature selling the American people down a river for her own benefit. And her office said, we're not going to respond to this guy. He's a serial liar. You know, not even dignify it. And there were several others as well. Um, and then there was this really nasty comment from George Santos, who, by the way, everybody's always going to get a reality show. The cable networks have uh, evinced no interest in hiring him. He, he's probably going to end up in prison. I mean, he's presumed innocent. I get it. But he's under criminal indictment. The House Ethics Committee report is blistering. And... There's just a lighthearted tone. Oh, we're going to miss him. I'm not going to miss him. Maybe the entertainment factor a little bit. Um, he says, the difference between you and I is that I don't live in denial. I'm a proud gay man, and I'm not afraid to say it. What the hell? Meanwhile, one of the reasons he lost was that another Republican congressman, Max Miller, sent out an email to all of his colleagues saying that he had learned earlier this year that the Santos campaign had charged his personal credit card and the personal card of my mother for contributions exceeding FEC limits. Brings in his mom. We've spent tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees in the resulting follow-up. Oh, here's a little whack from uh, Donald Trump. Now, I've talked about, if if you missed it, Robert De Niro at an award show was ready to just rip Trump. And then somebody who worked for Apple took the script out of the prompter. And De Niro started complaining about it on camera and ultimately did a sort of watered-down version of it. It didn't mention Trump by name, but, you know, come on, he talked about the former president. Okay, cue a response from DJT. Robert De Niro, whose acting talents have greatly diminished, with his reputation now shot, must even use a teleprompter for his foul, disgusting language, so disrespectful to our country. He's become unwatchable, both in movies and with the fools that destroyed the Academy Awards. De Niro should focus on his life, which is a mess. (laughs) I mean, you knew it was coming, and look, De Niro denounced him, and, you know, you take on Trump, you know, it may be the next day, it may be the next hour, it may be after the weekend, but he's going to punch back. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? 
it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Story number two on Media Buzz yesterday, by the way, I guess I was a bit rude at the top. I should have said, I hope you had a good weekend and I hope you watch Media Buzz. And most of the segments are online today. Particularly fascinating conversation with Fox's Trey Yingst in Israel, who talked about the mistreatment of the hostages and that how it's even going to get worse. So we're, we're going to get more reports. It's worse than we've already heard about, you know, basically putting people on a starvation diet, breaking an elderly woman's shoulder, um, exposing them to lice. It goes on and on and on. And one thing that Trey said that was fascinating is that he tries to call Hamas officials and sources, but they lie to him frequently. And then they try to discredit his reporting. Uh, on any subject. And it was just a good behind-the-scenes look. Okay, number two, the Biden administration, says the Washington Post, urgently hoped to use the recent pause in hostilities to change the course of the war in Gaza. It's unclear whether those efforts were having any effect. In marked contrast to uh, their tone before the Israeli assault in Gaza, onslaught in Gaza, which, of course, was in retaliation country trying to defend itself after the atrocities of October 7th. U.S. officials during the brief window when guns were silent made clear that if Israel's renewed operations again yielded massive casualties, it would be openly rejecting the explicit position of American leaders. Look, Biden speaking out, Kamala Harris speaking out, Tony Blinken speaking out, um, basically saying that they would support the Israeli military campaign in the south of Gaza, only if Israel took concrete steps to limit civilian casualties. Israel is now saying, here are the safe zones. But at the same time, about 80% of all the Palestinians who live in Gaza have been uprooted. Those in the north, told to evacuate their homes, have gone to the south. So the south is increasingly crowded. But at the same time, and this is what Hamas does, Hamas top leaders and certainly weapons capabilities are embedded in those very crowded areas so that inevitably there will be civilian casualties even as Israel tries to avoid them. Hamas welcomes this because it can cast those of its own people who are killed as martyrs and then blame it on Israel. So... I also had uh, retired General Jack Keane on the show yesterday, and he talked about this, and he said Israel can win, but its momentum was stopped cold by the seven-day ceasefire or pause. Um, Here is a guy from the Council on Foreign Relations. There's a rhetorical change in how they're talking about it, speaking of the Biden administration. It doesn't seem substantive. If Israel pursues its military operations in a similar fashion, then you know the administration hasn't really had an effect. Now, actress Julianne Margulies, who I like as an actress, has apologized for the inflammatory remark she made about black and gay communities. This went viral. She did a podcast. Um, and what she said was the entire black community uh, 
may have been brainwashed to hate Jews. The blacks have been brainwashed? What? And she talked about what would happen to a queer person who stepped foot in an Islamic country. Well, here's the apology. I am horrified by the fact that statements I made on a recent podcast offended the black and LGBTQIA plus communities. Communities I truly love and respect. I want to be 100% clear. Racism, homophobia, sexism, or any prejudice against anyone's personal beliefs or identity are abhorrent to me. Full stop. Throughout my career, I've worked tirelessly to combat hate of all kind and anti-Semitism, speak out against terrorist groups like Hamas, and forge a united front against discrimination. I did not intend my words to sow further division, for which I am sincerely apologetic. Well, that's a full-throated apology, but I mean, the words that she uttered, particularly about black Americans, are indefensible. Also, Susan Sarandon, another actress who I like in movies, apologizing for saying at a pro-Palestinian rally, and this was last month, took her a while, um, that people who are afraid of being Jewish right now are getting a taste of what it feels like to be a Muslim in this country, so often subjected to violence. So the United Talent Agency, which is one of the big ones, dropped her as a client. Lots of criticism. Uh, In an Instagram post, Sarandon said she had been trying to communicate her concern for rising hate crimes. This phrasing was a terrible mistake, she said as it implies that until recently Jews have been strangers to persecution when the opposite is true. As we all know, from centuries of oppression and genocide in Europe to the Tree of Life shooting in Pittsburgh, Jews have been long familiar with discrimination and religious violence, which continues this day. I deeply regret diminishing this reality and hurting people with this comment. I was trying to show solidarity I am sorry I failed to do so. Well, maybe celebrities uh, and even the smart ones ought to think twice before popping off on sensitive subjects on podcasts because plenty of times it leads to them having to apologize and maybe they just bow to the pressure. It certainly took Susan Sarandon a while to apologize. Um, There's another war going on, as you may recall, in Ukraine after the brutal Russian invasion. It's been about a year and a half now. And, you know, with so much focus on Israel, um, Ukraine has been totally overshadowed. Here's uh, a piece today in the Washington Post, a counteroffensive. Remember, there was a lot of talk about Kiev um, trying to retake territory in the spring and summer and even the fall, but before the winter weather comes. Born in optimism has failed to deliver its expected punch, generating friction and second-guessing between Washington and Kyiv, and raising deeper questions about Ukraine's ability to retake decisive amounts of territory. As winter approaches and the front lines freeze into place, Ukraine's most senior military officials acknowledge that the war has reached a stalemate. You know what else has reached a stalemate? Uh, the effort to provide more USA to Ukraine, which probably a majority of Congress agrees with. But regardless, um, since the Republican House has failed to act, and there's this whole sort of stalemate on the Hill about putting together a bill that would include aid to Israel. That still hasn't happened. Aid to Ukraine, more money for border security. 
uh, and more money for Taiwan. Hasn't happened. Partisan divisions and debate and taking vacations just hasn't happened. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Number three, as he runs for president again, facing four criminal prosecutions, Trump, says the New York Times, may seem more angry, desperate, and dangerous to American-style democracy than in his first term. I got to tell you, the New York Times runs a story like this every other day. It's just a slightly different angle or approach. It is like a crusade. You know, we can, we can talk about whether the details are accurate, but it's just stunning to me. I mean, there's not even a fig leaf. That, you know, a few words get changed. He has glorified political violence and spoken admiringly of autocrats for decades. As a presidential candidate in 2016, he talked about Saddam Hussein having been so good at killing terrorists. And throughout his four years in the Oval Office, Trump blew through boundaries and violated democratic norms. I mean, the New York Times hasn't reported that before. What would be different in a second Trump administration is not so much his character as his surroundings. Forces that somewhat contained his autocratic tendencies in his first term would be weaker. As a result, Trump's and his advisors' more extreme policy plans and ideas for second term would have a greater prospect for becoming reality. And in yesterday's Sunday Washington Post, commentator Robert Kagan wrote under the headline, A Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable. We should stop pretending. And the piece ran like three or four pages of full newspaper pages. Um, Do you think these two newspapers have a position on a second Trump term? Of course there should be aggressive reporting on Donald Trump. I talked yesterday about him uh, going after MSNBC and perhaps signaling that he's going, you know, he said legal political activity. And something should be done. The government should crack down. Well, it's not a legal political activity. If a network like MSNBC is largely anti-Trump. But I'm going to continue to point this out because the contrast with the coverage of Joe Biden could not be greater. Also in this segment, Ron DeSantis' presidential bid facing extraordinary turmoil about six weeks before the Iowa caucuses. Chairman and CEO of the Super PAC running DeSantis' campaign, or much of his campaign operation, have both stepped down, says the Washington Post, in recent days after other allies of the governor took the unusual step of starting another super PAC late in the race. He talks about uh, the Koch network, Charles Koch, endorsing Nikki Haley, network started by Charles Koch, I should say. Senior campaign officials increasingly gloomy about their chances, says the person close to DeSantis, quote, People increasingly think it's over. It's a dumpster fire, said this person who's not brave enough to speak on the record. But you have this kind of finger pointing and blame gaming uh, when a campaign isn't doing well. And that's what you have right now with the super PAC shifting and 
many people speaking out. Um, yesterday, I believe the Florida governor was on, I know he was on one of the Sunday shows, I believe, Meet the Press. Afterwards, he was bashed by commentators saying, why didn't he go after Trump more? It's a little late in the game to be tiptoeing around that. So, then it goes into the details of the two different people who have stepped down from never back down. That's the super PAC. Andrew Romeo, DeSantis campaign spokesman, said any assertion the campaign has anything to do with the strategy being pursued by an outside entity is absurd and categorically false. Except, you know, when people who are close to Ron DeSantis are quitting one after the other, and they have most of the money being spent on his behalf, yeah, they're independent, I'm putting up air quotes, but it's not a good sign. And then here's this other thing. Uh, the Ron DeSantis, Gavin Newsom debate on Fox, moderated by Sean Hannity. First of all, it got, a, it got almost 5 million viewers. It's double the usual Hannity audience and even substantially bigger than the various Trump town halls. And there's another town hall, again with Hannity, with Donald Trump tomorrow night. So, Ron DeSantis spokesman roasted Gavin Newsom, this is in an interview afterwards, for his wife's intervention. So they had debated for about an hour and a half. And Hannity said, uh, do you want to keep going? And both candidates allegedly said that because they had other commitments, sounds like a fig leaf, they, you know, it was enough, the debate should be over, and so it ended. But according to four sources in the DeSantis camp, Newsom's wife, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, came into the debate room on at least two occasions to raise objections. She also made her way to the stage during the break. You're not supposed to do these things. And came out and ended the debate on her husband's behalf, saying, we're done. And the spokesman saying Gavin Newsom got beat so badly last night, his wife literally had to throw in the towel for him. It was embarrassing. Well, I actually think they both did well, but it's interesting, the role of the First Lady of California. Story number four, piece out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Republican polling leader Donald Trump moved to deflect from criminal charges that he tried to overturn the 2020 election and from his own pledges to take revenge on his opponents if he returns to the White House, seeking to parry warnings that he presents a danger to democracy. Well, this is a Washington story, and at least it leads with Trump's side. Uh, His speech on Saturday was an effort to turn the tables on rising alarms from Democrats and some Republicans, not to mention the media, Washington Post, that Trump's return to power will imperil free elections and civil liberties. A former president who refused to accept his 2020 election loss and inspire his supporters to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power, responded by comparing President Biden to a fascist tyrant. And the campaign distributed sides reading, Biden attacks democracy. So this is known in politics as flipping the script. You get accused of being a bad guy, you say, oh, my opponent is the really bad guy here. Biden and his radical left allies like to pose as defenders of democracy, Trump told us told a crowd of a couple thousand people. But Joe Biden is not the defender of American democracy. Joe Biden is the destroyer 
of American democracy, says Donald Trump. This campaign is a righteous crusade to liberate our republic from Biden and the criminals and the Biden administration. So this shows that Trump has been stung by all this coverage and by the Biden offensive. And he felt the need to respond. Here is a historian at Texas A&M University saying Trump's strategy to accuse the accuser could confuse voters and help reassure his own supporters. She says, this is uh, Jennifer Merciessa, Trump's Iowa speech continues his use of fascist rhetoric. It's us versus them, he tells his supporters, and they are enemies who cheat. Authoritarians have a lot of rhetorical tricks for explaining away anti-democratic actions as actually democratic. So, you know, there's never been an election like this, a president versus a former president. Actually, there's been a three-way election like this with Teddy Roosevelt running again, and it didn't mean that. But uh, And, of course, there's a, a third-party or independent candidates gearing up to run, it seems, certainly including RFK Jr. as independents. You know, Trump is, is trying to deflect the criticism that he failed to repeal Obamacare and now saying he'll just make it better trying to deflect the idea that he's a destroyer of democracy. And, of course, this gets into the 2020 election and the false accusations of a stolen or rigged election. But the only person quoted as defending the former president is a senior Trump advisor who spoke on condition of anonymity. President Trump is turning the tables. We are not going to allow Joe Biden and the Democrats to gaslight the American public. Uh, just a little uh, footnote here. Obamacare, according to new polling data released by KFF, the Kaiser Family Foundation, only 32% of self-identified Republicans think it's very important for candidates to talk about the future, future of the Affordable Care Act, compared to 70% of Democrats. So Trump is injecting this into the campaign when there's no groundswell support among Republicans. And those are interesting numbers. All right, story number five. Jack Schaefer, media guru at Politico. The press corps' hunger for a competitive race was fed a big slab of protein when the Coke network, as I mentioned earlier, placed some of its money on Nikki Haley's campaign. And then he recounts a bunch of headlines. To beat Trump, Nikki Haley is trying to speak to all sides of a fractured GOP, New York Times. Could Haley really be Trump? Big donors are daring to dream. Nikki Haley's unexpected rise from scrappy underdog to Trump's closest rival, says The Guardian. Nikki Haley takes on the scum at the third Republican debate, The New Yorker. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. Um, what has the press hyperventilating about Haley is not her relative rise in the national polls, about two percentage points, or the fact that she's drawing even with DeSantis in Iowa. Nor is it the remote possibility that she'll eclipse President Trump. No, what's causing the swoon is her upheld climb to defeat DeSantis for the meaningless position as the second-place finisher in the race. And Schaefer goes on to say, the press seems to thrill at the prospect of a playoff bowl between Haley, 9.8% in the latest Real Clear Politics Average, and DeSantis, 13.7%, when Donald Trump is at 61.6%. Excellent point. I've talked about this before. It is uh, 
It's kind of ludicrous. When you have this huge gap, it is wishful thinking. But, you know, journalists always want a race. And finally, I am just going to end the podcast with this. A lead sentence from a story in the Washington Post. The details you can click on if you're interested in the back and forth. But here it is. Leaders of the Florida Republican Party criticized state GOP chairman Christian Ziegler as details emerged in a rape allegation by a woman with whom he and his wife previously had a three-way sexual encounter. Okay. Always nice to hear about the threesomes in politics. Uh, Again, hope you had a great weekend. Media Buzz segments, you can check them out. We did the war. We did Hunter Biden uh, offering to testify. Uh, We did a bunch of things, which... I was very pleased with it. I thought it was a good show. We'll see if you agree. See you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 